Hello, it's 25th of May 2017 and this is episode 31 of Scavengers Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to give you a regular dose of Star's news, analysis and commentary. We're focused on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. And you will notice something very weird about this because we are completely off schedule and you had been told not to expect this episode for a while, but basically stuff has happened, people. (laughs) Stuff has got seriously real. And yeah, we wanted to talk about some of the stuff coming out because it's been absolute fandom chaos. You know that gif of the guy re-entering the room with pizza only to find everyone like killing each other and there's a fire? Lando. Yes, Lando, Donald Glover, (laughs) thank you. Yeah, so Lando enters the room to find utter chaos before him. And yeah, that's basically today in fandom. Star Wars fandom. I feel like that is most days in fandom, to be honest. It's true, but I'd say it's reached a kind of pitch with this. Yeah. I, like, this is just what's going to happen in the lead up to the new movie. So Yeah, it's only going to get much worse, to be honest, because this is still quite low level stuff. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, but yeah, today is actually the 40th anniversary of Star Wars. So mm-hmm. there's reason to be jubilant. Um, have you done anything to celebrate this, Kirsty? I haven't yet, but um, it's early in the day for me, and I'm planning on watching a few episodes of The Clone Wars tonight. Oh, nice. So, because there's so much of it, and I feel like I've been watching it forever, but I'm still not at the end. So, <laughs> dedicate a couple of hours to that. Oh, that'd be nice. How about you? Have you done anything? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but not for like a lack of interest in doing anything to celebrate the anniversary just purely because I've been so so busy so part of it has been like firefighting because of the drama in the fandom and just the other part is real life so doing dishes and talking to friends and packing backpacks and stuff Mm -hmm. so yeah there just hasn't been time for it but I'm very very conscious of the fact it's the anniversary of Star Wars and yeah happy 40th you're looking mighty fine for (laughs) Someone entering their early middle age, you <laughs> lovely space franchise, you. Oh. <laughs> oh. Um, okay, so should we get into some of the stuff that's been coming out? Yes, let's do that. Okay, so basically, like everyone has probably seen by now, like the, the Vanity Fair covers and the photos and everything gorgeous but they had hinted that there was more to come out today and there was been more than I was expecting I don't know about you Rachel yes I've completely lost track to be honest I know there's just too much like I put together the show notes really hastily but I think we're still missing a ton of stuff like it's it's weird because sometimes we're kind of scrambling for things to talk about yeah um but now there's so much so I guess we can just start with um Kathleen Kennedy on the future of Star Wars so Vanity Fair asks, is there a palpable sense of relief at Lucasfilm that The Force Awakens and Rogue One have been well received? And Kathleen says, there is a palpable sense of relief. For the first time, I think we can step outside of this a little bit and take stock and ask ourselves, what are the next steps? Where are we going? It was really the release of Rogue One because we knew we were moving on with the trilogy, but we didn't know exactly how these Star Wars stories would be received. We didn't want to create confusion either. So it's a relief to see that people really embrace Rogue One and they now know that we're creating these stories that could fall anywhere on the timeline and don't necessarily have anything to do with the saga. From a creative point of view, that's really liberating. And then the interviewer asks, and also with The Force Awakens two years ago, the public didn't know who Rey, Kylo, Finn and Poe were. The reception of those characters has been positive and it could have gone either way. Kathleen again. 
We were incredibly fortunate that every single one of those characters has resonated to the extent that they have. I gather what you're saying is that there are more opportunities with those characters. And yes, that's a possibility too. That's what we're looking at. Where do we go with the saga? Does the saga extend beyond the nine movies that George envisioned? <laughs> the interview goes, well, does it? <laughs> and she says, we are having discussions about that right now. Um, interviewer, for that matter, must the saga necessarily unfold in trilogies? These are the questions we're asking. They haven't been answered yet. I always think it's important to try to answer the why. You can make any movie you want, and certainly inside Star Wars. Now we could do a wide variety of things. But what exactly is the story we feel is important to tell beyond Episode Nine? I think we have to answer that before we know whether we're going to carry on. And then um, the interviewer is still kind of pressing about the young Han Solo film and like whether there'll be another standalone after that. So asks, is there another story film in production or pre-production beyond the Han Solo one? And she says, yes, we haven't identified it yet, but yes, we have a couple of things right now that we're circling and we'll make a decision between the two pretty shortly. It's probably for 2020 and we'll make a decision by June. So that's definitive. Yes, that's very definitive. Do you reckon yeah. that means we're going to get a statement literally in June? I hope so. Like, I can't remember. Is D23 in July? Yes, it is. Uh, so maybe they would make the decision and then wait to reveal it then. Yeah, I think it would make sense to do that because they're going to want something splashy at D23 and that would be super splashy. Yeah. Yeah, I have a horrible feeling though that that um, spin-off is going to be the Boba Fett film. <laughs> yeah, I saw Star Wars News Network saying it's either that one or the Obi-Wan film. Yeah. I'd rather Obi-Wan of those two options. I'm not, like, incredibly invested in either because I've never been, like, super into either of those characters. Like, Obi-Wan's fine. I actually really quite like Obi-Wan and especially Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan. So I'd be really quite keen to see that character even though he's not my fave. Um, And, yeah, Boba Fett, I'm just like, no. (laughs) The Boba Fett one, honestly, I would struggle to get excited about. Like, um, when Star Wars Newsnet had that, um, article a while ago about how it wouldn't just be about him it would be like a more ensemble piece about um bounty hunters that made me a bit more optimistic mm. but it still doesn't sound like a story i'd be super interested in like even if that was a book it's not the kind of thing that i would pick up i'm much more a, a bloodline lost stars kind of fan yeah so yeah, yeah we'll see i do think it's interesting that she's talking about the potential of spin-offs surrounding the new characters from the saga yeah no, definitely. And I really like this sense that they feel like liberated now that they've seen how The Force Awakens and Rogue One have done. Mm. They feel like they have that freedom to go and like just do what they want now, essentially, which is really cool. So I'd like to see them be more confident and take steps beyond the whole nostalgia element. Because yeah. Rogue One was quite heavily embedded in like the original trilogy. Like, the whole point is that it literally segues right into A New Hope. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'd like to see them take baby steps away from that, which, from what Kathleen is saying, I absolutely think that's what they're going to do. So, yeah, that's really cool and reason to be thankful. Yeah, and the trilogies, as much as I love them, it must be quite limiting in terms of what you can do for story to make sure that you have these three movies that are also self-contained to an extent. Mm. And then you have all of the speculation going on in between as to what's going to happen and everything. Yeah. Um. And as we've seen, the fandom can tear itself apart and get quite nasty over various <laughs> theories and stuff. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it might be kind of nice to... Because I don't think they're going to just um, never have these new actors and characters in films again. I think that would be a huge waste. Yeah. Like, even though I'm sure they're going to want to go off and do their own thing because 
they're all so talented and they must be having tons of opportunities coming their way. Mm-hmm. Um, it would seem quite short-sighted because the audience has really embraced these new characters. Yes. So I guess we, we'll see what happens there, but it's cool that they're just kind of throwing out all these ideas and really thinking about it. And, you know, I would, I would like the idea of another trilogy after this one, but as she says, if they don't have a compelling story to tell, what's the point? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. They're going to have to take stock once they have a firm idea of what episode nine is going to be, because like they clearly have a draft of the script for episode nine, but I don't think it's a final script. And I, I don't know this is in the notes, Kirsty, but I saw that somewhere buried in the Vanity Fair coverage, it said that they're going to start shooting episode nine in January next year. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, okay. no, that's one of the, like, it's a kind of like they're burying the lead deep in the story. So right. it's like, wow, that's actually quite big news. But um, they don't make a big deal of it. Um, yeah, so essentially there's still lots of room for that story to change. So, yeah, like the future storytelling possibilities are going to are going to depend to a great extent on how episode nine finishes things off and leaves those characters in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I expect they'll get to that point and then they'll be like, okay, what do we do from here? Yeah. And it would just make sense to kind of leave it for a few years to get fandom interest back up again. Cause if yeah. you've literally just finished the trilogy again, if, if you started a trilogy right after that, it would just feel like a progression of the same story. It wouldn't have that wrapped up feel. Yes. So. Exactly. Lots of questions. Yeah. Um, the next thing we wanted to talk about was the idea that um, Leia was going to be significant to Nine. Mm. Um, and Carrie had said to Kathleen um, that she'd noticed that The Force Awakens was Han's movie, The Last Jedi is Luke's. And um, Carrie thought that Nine was going to be hers. And Kathleen confirms that, that she was going to be really significant to the story. Mm. Um, so the word that she uses now is that it's being rethought. Mm. Um, so, yeah. It is kind of what we um, thought the, the trilogy might look like, right? Because they they did have Han such a major player in the first one. And then Luke is obviously being pushed quite heavily in the marketing for The Last Jedi. And he clearly seems to be an important part of the story. Um and probably part of that is to do with the fact that he didn't even speak in The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, like, if if Carrie was going to be a really, really important part of uh, Nine, they have to do some work there now. Yeah, no, it's really sad because I expect they're going to have to make some quite fundamental changes to the story. Um, like, would you say it's fair to assume that a big part of her role would have been in relation to, like, Ben slash Kylo? I have to think that if if they're really going for the idea of the trilogy being cohesive and that means that the foreshadowing in The Force Awakens actually has implications. Mm. Um, some of Leia's most powerful moments in that film, because they cut out a lot of the stuff of her being a general, are talking to Han about their son and believing that there's still light in him and asking Han to bring him home. Yeah. So it would make sense for that to be important to her story. It wouldn't be the entire summation, obviously, but I feel like that would have been a big part for her in nine. Yeah. No, so. definitely. Um, I can't help but think that they're going to have to like pass the, the kind of responsibilities that Leia had in the narrative to Luke and maybe Ray or some combination thereof. Um, because yeah, like I don't see them completely altering the trajectory of Kylo's character 
just because this awful real-life tragedy means that Carrie obviously isn't there and that Leia won't be able to feature as an active participant in the story anymore. Mm. Um, so yeah, like it's just a really sad situation. It's always hard to discuss it, you know, because it's just like a really shitty thing. And how yeah. do you deal with it? Um, because there's no ideal solution. Basically. It is a really shitty thing. And, you know, understandably, fans get really attached to what they want the outcome to be mm. in terms of whether they decide to recast her or um, rewrite the story. Um, but, but we all just have to remember that Lucasfilm did not know that this was going to happen. Yeah. Certainly, you know, it's it's less than ideal for them to be writing the third part of a trilogy like the way that they didn't expect to so i don't know like it's not going to be perfect because it's not going to be the original story yeah um but it the way that she's talking about it being rethought it doesn't sound like they're going to keep the story and then recast her Mm. which i know some fans really want so yeah it's tough it is really tough. I think whatever decision they made, they were always going to get a backlash. They were always going to be criticised for it. Yeah. And, yeah. Like, I personally think they've made the best choice by not recasting and not resurrecting Carrie digitally, which I think oh, would be really grotesque. Yeah. I'm glad that they're not making that decision, but whatever they decision they make, like you say, pe- like some people are not going to be happy with whatever they choose to do. So, yeah. it's it's difficult. Exactly. Um, another piece from Vanity Fair talks about um, Adam Driver's process and why he relates to the character. Um, there's big personal things that I find about every character, not just in Star Wars, that you have to make as personal as possible, he, Adam Driver, told me. It's the big joke about being an actor that you make everything you're doing seem like it's life or death, including his internal process of becoming Kylo, about which he is circumspect. The things about the character that I find painful, that I really relate to, I kind of prefer to keep to myself, he said. Driver's in-the-zone solemnity is something his castmates can't help but take note of. He's very moody and intense, Mark Hamill said. I remember saying to Adam, I don't know how you work or your technique, but at some point you were my nephew. I probably bounced you on my knee. I probably babysat for you. (laughs) There's that side, and now we're both estranged from the Skywalker family. All I'm suggesting is, if you'd like, maybe we could go to lunch. We could get together and hang out. Driver, having his own methods, did not take Hamill upon his offer. And more power to him, Hamill said good-naturedly. John Boyega, however, is less willing to let matters lie and feels that sometimes it's necessary to lighten things up when the mood on the Star Wars set turns too serious. (laughs) Daisy Ridley, Boyega said, is his frequent co-conspirator. We collaborate on bringing light to the set and having a good old time, he told me. With regard to Driver, Boyega has a specific strategy to try to lure him to the lighter side. I give Adam hugs randomly just for no reason, he said. <laughs> and does he take it? I, sa- I asked. He just stands there, Boyega said. He just waits for me to be done. <laughs> oh my god. The I Finlow love that. shipper in me is very happy about this. <laughs> yeah, I love that Adam just seems to have picked up like the button from Harrison Ford. Yeah. Like, at being, like, the grouchy, perplexed person who's like, I don't understand these extravagant displays of physical affection. Please go well, away. Well, it's his method, right? So he's in yeah. character. I know. <laughs> Harrison was just genuinely grumpy. It's true, yeah. I guess, um... <laughs> I guess when Adam's method acting, like, he's just constantly trying to think, what would Kylo do? What would Kylo do? What would Kylo do? 
Like, and I guess though he has to like moderate that by knowing that Kylo would probably whip out his lightsaber and deal some serious damage in that scenario. But there are limits to how far the method acting can go. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he just needs to remain stoic and impassive. <laughs> yeah, but the bit from Adam talking about why he relates to Kylo, like he's kind of referenced that before in interviews. Um, and I just like reading that stuff because yeah. he's a character that I relate to as well. So it's nice to kind of see that what, I don't know, it the performance resonated with me and I think for similar reasons, but yeah, I don't want to go too into that because obviously he says like he wants to keep it private. So Yeah, no, exactly. I'm not going to speculate on Adam's personal life because obviously it's private and he wants to keep it private, which I have immense respect for. But yeah, it's very clear that he feels this like deep sense of identification Mm -hmm. with the character and yeah i I just think that's really cool because i do think that adds a richness to the performance that you wouldn't get if there were just something phony about it or something that you couldn't really identify with so he's clearly drawing from some like deep personal experience or emotions that he carries within himself and I absolutely think that came through in his performance in The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. Because that character really resonated so powerfully with people. It's like you say, you have that really personal investment in Kylo Ren. And like you really identify with like his plight and his feelings and stuff. And I absolutely think that's because of what Adam invested into the performance. So yeah, like it's just really cool to see like Adam speaking about that a bit. Yeah. Like, albeit within limits. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing we were going to talk about was another article that's it's from Vanity Fair again. Um, and it's the five things that are not in The Last Jedi. Ooh. <laughs> um, number one, a big central to the plot romance. <laughs> <laughs> For all the fan fiction fantasies of Raylo, an imagined union of Daisy Ridley's Ray and Adam Driver's Kylo Ren, or Storm Pilot. <laughs> The same for John Boyega's ex-stormtrooper Finn and Oscar Isaac's pilot, Poe Dameron. I'm just imagining the writer googling what the Force Awakens ships were. Being like, oh, that's what that's called. Johnson says that The Last Jedi offers no one-to-one equivalent of the Hantalea burning unrequited love. In our story, that's not a centerpiece. So that's the quote from Ryan. Um, So yeah, what do you think about this, Rachel? Oh boy, Kirsty, <laughs> I have so many feelings on this. Um, I guess in a way it was good to get this because I, for a start, I felt like it shook me out of a certain sense of complacency because we obviously don't make any secret of it on this podcast, but we ship Raylo. That is a thing that we are. It's not the soul. It's not the sum of our experience as Star Wars fans. We obviously like Star Wars Beyond Raylo as well, but it's a big part of it. Um, and yeah, like I guess just up until this point, everything had been going swimmingly for us, almost too swimmingly. <laughs> so I kind of feel like this is them saying, uh, 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 no, no, don't get too cocky, gut kid. <laughs> yeah. We're going to make things more challenging for you now. Um, so yeah, like it is interesting. So I think a lot of us had assumed that there was going to be a big romance of some description. Like, not necessarily Raylo, for example, like Finrose. A lot of people are counting on that yeah. as a really big feature. They've been pushing that, which is kind of odd. Yeah. I don't know if this I don't know if this quote is being taken to mean something that it actually doesn't, because mm. the idea of not having a romance at all in Star Wars, and of course people tend to expect it in the second movie because that's the precedent. Yeah. 
Um, the idea of there being no romance is strange. So I don't know if it's just being taken to the extreme. Um, because the idea of Finn and Rose has been pushed quite heavily at Celebration. And I guess it's possible that um, they could be doing that as a way to get people away from the idea of Storm Pilot, which wasn't happening. But then they're just yeah. baiting with another ship. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm not really sure what to think. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Um, because, yeah, basically we've been conditioned to expect a big romance in the middle chapter of a Star Wars trilogy. Because in Empire Strikes Back, in the Empire Strikes Back, we obviously had Han and Leia. And then in Attack of the Clones, there's obviously the very big gooey romance with Anakin and Padme. And they were heavily featured and they were like crucial to the marketing and crucial to the characters. And while I totally get Ryan's desire to like switch things up and to have his own like identity for his film, like, and I especially understand that because so many people have been saying, oh, you're just going to be doing Empire Strikes Back again, right? And he's like, no, I'm really not. So I do think part of this comment is coming from that place. I think it's at least partially about Ryan being like, I'm really not doing Hannah Leia again, guys. Please just mm. stop with this. So I think part of it is giving clarity on that. But I do also think it's probably a way of communicating to like the Raylo fans and the Stormpilot pan and the Stormpilot fans that they kind of need to moderate their expectations. Um because they've previously basically said that Stormpilot isn't going to be happening in the last Jedi. And while they haven't explicitly come out and said that Raylo is not happening in any shape or form, this does seem to clearly suggest it's not going to be like a central plot point, basically, of that film. Um, but yeah, like, like, obviously it was a bit of a blow because it's easy when you're all swept up in the fandom and especially in the shipping aspect of the fandom, it's easy to get your expectations built up and I do this much more than Kirsty does so here Kirsty's moderation and re- retinence when it comes to these things they are reaping dividends um, because she had lower expectations than me to begin with which is always a good starting point but yeah like I had thought that we might see something covert that we might see like a kiss but I do think now I haven't read this that if there is any Raylo in The Last Jedi, then it'll be very much like what we got in The Force Awakens, and that'll be very subtle and underplayed, and it will be conveyed through, like, the body language and the physicality of the characters, as much as, like, I love you, Rey, or anything like that. Not that I ever expected that to happen in The Last Jedi. I didn't seriously think it was going to go that far then. But, yeah, like, so it's just a question of scaling back expectations and trying as hard as possible to accept these films on their own terms. So it's really hard when you're so invested in something and you have this two-year gap between the films. Naturally, you are going to imagine scenarios. You are going to look at what you already have and think, okay, how can I extrapolate from this and think about what the story for the next one will be, where these characters are going to go, all that kind of thing. So... I think there's nothing wrong with doing that and I don't feel bad for having come up with lots of theories and lots of ideas and I don't feel like my speculation is worthless or ungrounded in anything. I just feel like, okay, as much as possible, going forward, I'm going to try and moderate my expectations and just approach these films on their own terms. So I think that's just going to be the best way to enjoy them. Oh, for sure. You know, like, I think... You always say that I'm not as optimistic as you, but what I'm optimistic about is that we're going to get a great story. Yes. Like, And that's what matters. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, so when I talk about Raylo, I know that for people outside shipping culture, they think that literally means that all we care about is two people kissing. <laughs> but, <laughs> yes. it's, but it's not. What we care about is the evolution of the dynamic that was established in The Force Awakens. And yes. that dynamic was, as has been confirmed in you know, so many different places now, that they have a connection that yeah. Kylo feels compassion for her, that this is going to be very interesting, that this is the central dynamic between heroine and villain. Mm. So, it, you know, I guess it's like people saying, oh, I just don't care about Luke and Vader all that much. It's like, that's the central story. Yes. So, no, as you say, I wasn't expecting a kiss or anything like that in The Last Jedi. I'm expecting an evolution of the story that was established in The Force Awakens. So mm. I'm still really looking forward to that. And I don't think people should be too worried about this. Like, obviously, if you have a very specific idea of how the story is going to go, you're better off writing your own fan fiction. And I'm yeah. not saying that in a dismissive way. I love fan fiction. I read it. Yeah. Um, but you can't have a specific idea because this isn't our story to tell. Yeah. You know, you're, you're inevitably going to be let down if the story doesn't go the exact way you wanted. So yeah. just try to keep an open mind and um, know that that relationship is going to be important no matter what. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean... I don't think this comment bodes well for any of the ships from The Force Awakens, to be honest. Mm. If if we are supposed to take it the way the writer clearly took it, it's like that there's no romance, which is honestly kind of strange to me. Um, and I, the weirdest part in Ryan's quote is that he describes Han and Leia as unrequited. I thought that was really strange because it's obviously <laughs> not. Yeah, uh, they, they are... have a baby, Ryan. <laughs> Yeah, they kiss, they tell each other that they love each other, and they get married and have baby Ben, who's now Kylo Ren. <laughs> so that's as far from unrequited, in my opinion, as you can get, but okay. I do sincerely think he just must have misspoken. I think he was searching his brain for synonyms for, like, passionate, you know? And, like, you know that thing where you sometimes think of a word and you think it means something it doesn't? That's the only explanation i can think of maybe that. but wouldn't the journalist if you know that someone's kind of because inevitably as you say when people are talking out loud they sometimes make mistakes but wouldn't you clarify yeah you, you would see clarification because if it's the quote that you're actually going to use in your article you don't want to make the director look like an idiot or not <laughs> or not know about star wars because anyone knows that han and leia was reciprocated <laughs> that's true but then again, in the commentary, they did let him say about how, oh, Ray's just like Cinderella, when he clearly just meant Sleeping Beauty. And it's a bit different. I think this is a bit more of a obvious error, because yeah, it's blatant that he, <laughs> Han and Leia are not unrequited. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I've, I guess sometimes it's more just about fidelity to what the person said, rather than necessarily protecting the illusion of their immense intelligence no no i'm teasing like i do think ryan's very intelligent yeah um i i think that's what makes me wonder if it was part of a larger conversation about how his film differs from empire strikes back because you just mm. know he's being asked about that constantly yes and people can't help but make comparisons before we've even seen the movie so and I, if, if it was my film i would feel quite defensive about that and want to say actually it's a different story i've created it yeah. um and you know the characters aren't the same like you don't have an anti-hero like han i know a lot yeah. of people like to compare poe to han but i really don't see the similarity beyond mm. the fact that they're both good looking <laughs> charismatic yeah. i think that's basically it and they have swagger 
Yeah, so like if you look at this, I think the reason why it's freaking people out so much is because of like the editorial angle from the author of the article. Because he uses like all the buzzwords basically that anyone who's a shipper absolutely hates because they're so derisive and dismissive. Like fan fiction, fantasies, imagined and stuff. Like it's all like really gross and dismissive to be honest. Um like and it just goes back to the whole thing where these forms of engagement with this property they're not legitimate there's something to be like treated as other and like delegitimized and yeah like in a way like that's the thing that bothers me the most about this because Raylo shippers and just the concept of Raylo to begin with they've already got so much shit like from these more established Star Wars fan circles and it's a bit like oh no not again because I just knew when I saw this, I was like, oh, God, uphill battle from now on. <laughs> sure, but um, I avoid those places that I know are going to give people shit about that stuff because fandom should be fun. Yeah. And if, if you're not having fun, um, change what you're doing. Don't engage with people who are trying to make you feel like crap for enjoying Star Wars on your terms. Yeah. It's just so not worth it. Like, Talk to people who care about it like you do. Yeah. Um, have fun and if something's stressing you out step back and maybe I don't know read something else or watch a different <laughs> movie like we're Star yes. Wars fans and I consume a lot of Star Wars content but you know I'll happily go and read something else for a while to like remind myself that there's a world outside of it <laughs> yes Twin Peaks <laughs> yeah no you're absolutely right like I think I might need to take a holiday from Jedi Council forums. <laughs> Oh, okay. I gave up on that place so long ago. <laughs> same. I commend your tenacity. Yeah, so, I don't know why I do it. I sometimes think I must like have a masochistic streak. <laughs> I mean, they literally banned the topic of Raylo. So, <laughs> oh, although I see people because I I do go over there to lurk occasionally, and I see people bringing it up to shit on it, uh, which is apparently is okay. But yeah. we'll bring it up and actually want to talk about Ray and Kylo. It's a big no-no when you get a ban. So You know, you know like how in Pollyanna it's about this relentlessly happy girl who's like obnoxious with her happiness and kind of forces it on these really like grumpy, curmudgeonly people. Yeah. I sometimes feel like Pollyanna on the Jedi Council forum. I, yeah, sometimes I see that in your post where it's just like you, you just don't let the crap stick to you. Like, yeah. And I, I do really enjoy that because you show... Because... <laughs> Okay, just for context, in case people who are listening who don't ever, they don't even know what the Jedi Council forums is, whatever, blah, blah. <laughs> it's one of the biggest Star Wars forums and some of the regular posters, and I guess I should just expect this from Star Wars forums, because these people, if they're posting all day, they don't have anything better to do. <laughs> but they are just so mean-spirited to people who think differently from them. And I'm not just talking about ships. Mm. I'm talking about people who think anything differently from them it's you're wrong <laughs> you're stupid you know nothing about storytelling it's just so ridiculous yeah like, i would never talk that way to someone because i happen to disagree with their version of the story or what it might happen you know yeah like i don't happen to think that ray is going to be related to luke but mm. i'm not going to go and be horrible to someone who thinks that way <laughs> it's just a story i yeah. i guess that's just something that happens in fandom but mm. I, I will never be okay with it. Be and no. on either side, or the idea that there's even a side, it's just so childish. It's like, yeah. can we get some perspective, please. Yeah, there's just something about fandom, I think, that sends people into these tribes. Mm. And it's like, you not like us, you believe different things, therefore you must be shunned. 
It's like it's literally just... that mentality. And it's not just from people who, for example, believe Rose is Skywalker. I even see this from people who like are shippers. You know, so it's not to say that one side is like pure and innocent and blameless and the other is like some like evil demon monster like persecuting all the women. Um, that isn't what's happening. Like there's lots of shade and nuance to these situations. But yeah, like I think just fandom in general is just screwed up and it's just not as fun as it should be. Because it's like you said, Kirsty, all of this stuff, it should be fun. That is like the reason these things exist in the first place is to entertain people, it's to bring people joy and to like provide the hope of something better than this crappy world. <laughs> and yeah, like I don't understand why people get so, like, I don't know, like mean spirited and like hateful about these things because it's ultimately also trivial. And if you really want to like invest energy in hating anything or demonizing anyone, like invest your energy in doing that about real world things that really matter. Like Donald Trump, like <laughs> point yeah. out what a shithead he is <laughs> rather than shippers. <laughs> like... <sighs> yeah, yeah. Part of me wonders if it's just the way the internet facilitates that kind of behavior, because I mean, you look at like the phenomenon of online trolls, right? It's like people mm. have that confidence in feeling anonymous and it's a way that they would never talk to people in real life. Yeah. Because, you know, I was at Star Wars Celebration in April and no one talked to me like I was a piece of crap because I shipped Raylo. Yeah. You know, like if people are polite to people in real life, it's okay to have different opinions. You can have a debate and then walk away and not feel like you've been attacked for it. But online, it just seems like anything goes. And I, I don't know. It's just yeah. very strange. It is strange. I'm sure there's very interesting psychological studies out there on why this happens. But yeah, like it's interesting, and I I just felt felt like it was worth bringing up in relation to this because, yeah, just incidents such as this, I guess you could say, they bring this stuff out. But yeah, I think we really need to be prepared for this kind of thing because it's only going to get so much more intense as we get closer to the film's release. Yeah, because this is just the tip of the iceberg, and I'm actually amazed by how much has come out from this. Like I'm just overwhelmed i think i said this yesterday when we were talking kirsty but it's just been so much mm-hmm. and it's like wow yeah <laughs> slow down guys please i, I am time. actually i'm wondering if someone from lucasfilm whether it's pablo or ryan himself and it could just be on twitter or it could be like in a in a later interview they might seek clarification for this piece because the idea of that i can't i know i keep saying it but the idea of there being no romance is strange mm. Um, and and not just from like a fandom or shipping sense for the general audience um romance or at least like partly is a big reason why some people would go and see a film Mm. um it's human emotion and i don't know like lots of stories contain an element of romance or love so it's kind of it's kind of weird seven months out to say oh don't worry there's not going to be any romance when actually that's a big reason why some people like star wars like yeah anakin and padme and han leia yeah to be fair looking at the quote i don't think he's actually explicitly saying there won't be any romance that's what i mean Mm. um that he's not but it's how it might have been taken by the writer or at least it's being misconstrued by fans so if someone reaches out to pablo on twitter and says hey do you think that this means ryan's saying there's no romance I feel mm. like they would start to realise that people are getting the wrong end of the stick and would try to clarify it in some way. 
Yeah. I mean, it's definitely not the last time the topic of romance will be brought up. Like, you know, yeah. when they start the press tour in earnest, they'll be asked relentlessly about who's going to pair up with who. Yeah. That's the thing. People do care about it. People want to tell their listeners or readers or whoever it is um, that whether or not there would be a couple to come out of it because romance is a part of an epic space opera. Yeah. No, so. totally. Um, Like, I think, like, the clear... Like on the clearest level, what Ryan is saying is that there's no romance in the Last Jedi that is equivalent to Han and Leia in The Empire Strikes Back, and that the romance is not central. So it is basically saying it's not like one of the main plot threads is going to be about a romance between two characters. But I don't for a moment think that means he's eliminating the possibility of there being like romantic tension or sexual tension between the characters. Right. And. Yeah, like so, and really, that I think that makes sense because if you think about it, the Last Jedi picks up literally from the moment where the Force Awakens left off, and in terms of Rey and Kylo, obviously Rey does not have the kindest, warmest feelings towards Kylo Ren at the end of the Force Awakens, for very obvious reasons. So I absolutely do think it would be way too rushed if they were to suddenly develop a romance between them within, I don't know, like the space of a few days in movie time yeah. or something because there's a big step that needs to happen before that and that's that you need to like develop understanding between these characters. You need to stop Kylo being an evil dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, need... that's what I mean when I've said before like they would get them to a point where they're going to be allies or something like that. Yeah. So there's going to be twists and turns. It's not just going to be like oh, we're spending time together, I guess we love each other now. Like, that's not how a good story goes. Um, exactly, yeah. Yeah, you have to have that period in between where Ray starts to see the human in, inside the mask, right? Like, that's yeah part of that story. Whether it ends up being romantic or not, that's something that's inevitably going to happen because that's already started to happen in The Force Awakens. Like, yeah. the, the mask came off. She, she saw him as a person, so... yeah. She's yeah, angry quite... with him and calling him a monster, but... Yeah. No, it's like nothing that Ryan said like precludes like there being like romantic tension or sexual tension between Ray and Kylo, basically. like Because characters can be attracted to each other without entering into a committed relationship. <laughs> and I think that if they do keep it very low-key, then it will be like like a lot of those classic romances, you know? Like in I guess it's like often it's something that happens in TV shows. It's like the will they, won't they thing. Mm. So you can see there's like this spark between these characters and there's this potential, but then they drag it out for as long as they possibly can because they know that the intrigue of that relationship, it lies in the very fact that you're not sure where these characters are going to end up and whether they're actually going to come together. So they could be doing that kind of thing. There's just so many like possibilities. But yeah, like I said, my main takeaway from this is try my utmost to go in with as few expectations as possible. Obviously, it's unrealistic to go in with no expectations because at a bare minimum, I would like to have the expectation that this will be a good movie, which I absolutely believe it will be. I really trust Ryan and I really, really do like everything I'm seeing, basically. And yeah, I just think The Last Jedi is going to be really cool and this really interesting expansion of the world and the characters. But yeah, you can think of it too much in terms of specifics because then you're only going to be disappointed exactly and you know for all the headcanons that people develop within the two years between movies 
once it's actually here, you just go and see the movie and have a good time. Yeah. You know, like, you, oh, it didn't happen exactly the way I thought. Well, oh, well, life goes on. Like, you enjoyed the movie and then you talk about it. Um, yeah. It is what it is. It's not our story. So I, I don't know. I know that people get invested right now, but I think once you get the actual story, it, unless people just want to be upset about it, which I did see after The Force Awakens, actually, people were quite negative. Yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> that's that's the mean. thing, though. If you do let yourself be, you know, very set on certain things, then you're not doing yourself any favours. So Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, would you like to discuss the other quotes from that bit? So yeah. It's quite an interesting whole segment. I actually find it really interesting, that the whole part about the things that are not in The Last Jedi. Yeah, okay. It's so, so much more interesting than the bits about what is in The Last Jedi. This next part is really interesting to me. So um, the other thing, or one of the other things that they say is not going to be in The Last Jedi is a major creature character. It says, though, as mentioned above, The Last Jedi is rife with creatures. Johnson says there is no major non-human character akin to Maz Kanata in The Force Awakens or Yoda in The Empire Strikes Back. Most of the creatures are peripheral characters, but they're f- throughout the entire film, he says. I think this is really interesting, too, because we know that Maz is going to be in The Last Jedi, yeah. And there have been strong rumours, nothing solid yet, but Frank Oz has been kind of talking about, oh, I can't really say anything to you about Yoda, la la. Mm. Um, it's been like heavily speculated for a while now that Yoda would be in the movie as well. Yeah, even Frank Oz basically confirmed that Yoda was in the movie without actually saying Right, he couldn't movie. say it, but <laughs> he basically did. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's really weird. It's... It is. Yeah, it just seems to contradict what we know. It's it's like I've wandered into the Twilight Zone, Kirsty. I don't know what's going on. I'm really confused that they would especially say Maz because it's been known that Lupita is part of the cast. <laughs> Ryan put up a picture of Mars as one of the first production photos from The Last Jedi. Yeah. So that is a thing that he did. <laughs> it's really odd. Don't, am, I, like, am I the only one who's thinking... Vanity Fair is like making all these weird assumptions based on things that he's saying. <laughs> Tinfoil hat. Yeah, like most of the creatures are <laughs> peripheral characters, but they're throughout the entire film. I don't think that's him saying. He, like, he literally says most of the creatures, not all. And then mm. he, and then the writer has said that means that there isn't a major creature character. Like that's not what Ryan's saying. Yeah. Unless there was another quote that he hasn't included that supports what he's saying but you'd think mm. that he would include that quote yeah i'm so much confusion in my mind this is yeah because like i just i put these show notes together in a hurry and then as i'm reading through again i'm like wait that doesn't add up now i don't know what to think there's no yoda no Mars, no romance <laughs> this sounds crap <laughs> I vetoed The Last Jedi. (laughs) Yeah, because I know lots of fans, myself included, have been excited about the idea of Yoda. Yeah, no, same. I wanted to see the little green dude. (laughs) Give him to me. Yeah, so, I don't know. Yeah. um, (laughs) Then I guess the next thing, which is a good thing, because I think we can be really, really happy about this. It's basically Ryan saying that... John Williams is doing all the music for The Last Jedi, right down to the little incidental cues. Mm-hmm. And that is so awesome. And that makes me really excited because Ryan was clearly like, no, mine. No, I mean, John. <laughs> Sorry. God, I'm getting so confused. 
and yeah that just fills my heart with joy because i love his music so much it is such an important component of these films yeah i'm really excited to hear the new soundtrack that's probably one of the parts i'm most excited for oh god his music is so good it is amazing like i loved in the last jedi trailer how they blended like ray's theme with carlo's theme (gasps) yeah so cool i really hope they do something like that in the film itself yeah i can see that Mm. so i I know that there were like all these like painstaking analyses of those two pieces of music like basically saying how they like complemented each other or fit together so i'd like to think there's some intentionality there but Mm-hmm. Okay, so the next piece. This is also interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, he says there is no explicit political allegory. <gasps> uh, yeah. Allegory. Why can't I talk? <laughs> Though the vocabulary of Star Wars is threaded into our popular and political discourse, witness Steve Bannon saying darkness is good and name checking Darth Vader. <laughs> oh, God. And the popularity oh, of resistance as a hashtag. God. Johnson isn't keen to draw parallels between his story and current events. To me, he says, the power is greatly diminished if suddenly you have a character stand up in front of the Imperial Senate who has orange hair (laughs) and is saying, let's make the galaxy great again. (laughs) It just cheapens it all and divides the audience. What actually matters and what these films can actually speak to are the fundamental building blocks of what makes people good, what makes people brave, what are the things we should be fighting for. I mean, he's right. It would be terrible if they decided to do that. Can you imagine if they put Snoke literally in a ginger wig? (laughs) (laughs) Gave him like Trump's accent. Oh no. I mean, the the power of Star Wars and what makes it actually last is that (sighs) it can be applied to all of these different situations, right? Because it's basically saying this is what we should value. And that's universal. Like people should be kind to each other. They should love each other. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Like you can say that's political or not. I think... It is because the the political is personal, um, mm. but I know with the whole Rogue One thing, like people were getting all aggressive about that, and then Bob Iger had to come out and say it wasn't political. It's like it is. It's just you're not intentionally drawing a parallel with today. That's fine, but there's no way you can say these films aren't political because they, I don't know, they they so clearly are, but um, not in a way that's like we're clearly talking about what's happening right the second it's just fundamental you know what is it to be good yeah so. no like, like i think it's a good comment like i basically agree with ryan like, i think there's a temptation there to make it quite pertinent to current events but he's right in that it really does like date something if you make it too grounded in the specific context in which the film is made mm-hmm. um it's like i think about Z- xanadu god bless it like and i think this will be the only time that stars is ever compared to xanadu but xanadu is such a, a god awful like cheese fest because it is so so painfully made in 1980 and like it's just comes through in everything from like the dumb hairstyles to the rollerblading and stuff i don't know if you've seen xanadu Kirsty, i don't think i have <laughs> I, I need to introduce you to this film. It's um basically Olivia Newton John plays Terpsichore, the Greek muse of dance, and she comes down to Earth to inspire a struggling artist and they fall in love. It's very beautiful. But yeah, no the point I'm trying to make, essentially, sorry, this is very long winded, is that it's generally not a good idea to root something too much in a particular time and place. Like unless you're like telling like a historical <laughs> biopic or something. Right. And that's the thing, it's a fairy tale and it's set in a galaxy you know, a long time ago, far, far away. Mm-hmm. It's like, 
it's not supposed to be really drawing these exact parallels of what's going on. It's just like like any other fairy tale or myth, right? Yeah. Um, that you can see things in and people will interpret lots of different ways. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting to have him talk about it, but it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. No. Have you um, read Trump Pauls, the fan fiction, Kirsty? No. Is that it's the Trump a- and Snoke one? Yes, it's the Trump and Snoke one. No, I have not. Like, um, it's like of all the like ways of resisting the Trump administration, that is one of my favourites. I must say, <laughs> like <laughs> it's like ridicule <laughs> in the most ridiculous way, mm. and I do think it's quite powerful sometimes to laugh at these monsters. <laughs> oh yeah, I think um, that's, that can be a source of comfort for lots of people. Yeah. And no, Donald Trump takes himself very seriously and can't handle people laughing at him. So we should all keep doing it. Exactly. It's a very good lesson. Okay, so the last piece is a revelation about Finn's potential for sensitivity. As in, we should not expect this in The Last Jedi. Boyega is intrigued that Finn, a civilian... Again, what? Got to wield <laughs> a lightsaber in The Force Awakens. <laughs> he kind of held his own for a bit against Kylo Ren, who's obviously kind of like a Sith, he says. It's strange to know that Finn stood tall for that long. Boyega is fluent enough in Star Wars mythology to know that non-Sith and non-Jedi rarely get to use lightsabers, and that when Han Solo did in The Empire Strikes Back, it was only to slash open the belly of his recently deceased Tauntaun so that the freezing (laughs) Luke could be revived by the animal's body heat. In The Last Jedi, Boyega says, Finn's reasonable facility with the saber is not further explicated. But you never know, he says. I talk to Mark Hamill sometimes, and he tells me stories about how he wasn't told about the Darth Vader as his father situation until he got on set. I feel like there must be something going on, something that makes me go, huh, why does he wield one, and what's all that that all about? It'll be interesting to see if that's ever explored. Mm. This, like, just a very brief segue, but I wanted to say this because it reminded me very powerfully of what I think is perhaps my first ever Star Wars memory from when I was a very young child. And I felt it worth to point this out because it's the anniversary. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think my first ever Star Wars memory is of Empire Strikes Back and when Han slashes open the Tauntaun's guts and all those like guts spill out onto mm-hmm. the snow. And I remember thinking it was so, so gross, but also being really fascinated by it. <laughs> yeah. Like, in, in the way of young children. <laughs> it is pretty gross. <laughs> it is. Sorry, back to Finn. No, I mean... Again, this is something that we kind of saw in The Force Awakens, right? That he used the the saber, um, but he didn't seem to be involved in the Force side of the plot in the same way that Rey obviously was. Yeah. So this is probably a kind of damage control thing again, because they must know that some people were really invested in the idea of Finn as a Jedi. And I cannot blame those people, because I've talked many times about how terrible of a decision I think it was to use him like that as a bait and switch in the marketing yeah I think that was really unfair yeah no I think it's really bad so that is an example of actively raising people's expectations like really really pushing it in their faces and saying get hyped get hyped get hyped and then actually giving them something and it's like oh you just did that mm. and yeah it's a bit low I really don't think they fought through the implications of it no I don't think they did because either they did and then they decided it was going to be worth it for the payoff even though they knew there would be a backlash or they just somehow didn't think about the fact that having a black male lead Jedi would be very important to lots of people Yeah, and they thought that it would somehow be okay because actually they were shielding it 
it was secretly the girl or the woman who who would be the lead. But I don't know, you get into a very complicated discussion about intersectionality there and this idea that it's somehow more progressive to have a white woman be the lead versus a male black lead. It's, you know, I, I just think it was naive in the extreme. Yeah. And I do not blame fans for being disappointed in that. No. Like, I think they're really conscious of that now. And I do think stuff like this is like damage control. It's like saying, yeah, we're aware that lots of people are interested in Finn being force sensitive. Ah, hopefully we'll get to that at some point. Lols. Um, but yeah, it does just feel a bit weak, I guess. It's like, come on, guys, you can do better than that. You know you can. Yeah. Like, j- just <clears throat> don't do it in the first place. I-, I do think there would have been other ways to hide that Rey was going to be a Jedi without like presenting Finn in that manner. Mm. But, mm, yeah. Like, it just sucks a bit. It does. But, yeah, I feel like I've been a bit of a Debbie Downer this whole podcast, but I do want to say I am so excited for all this Vanity Fair stuff that's come out. Like, even the stuff where it's taken me aback, like the whole Raylo thing, like, I still think all of this is really interesting and it gives us so much food for thought. And just on the pure visual level, I love all of the images that we've Mm -hmm. seen. Me too. Everything looks so cool. And we didn't really touch upon it yesterday, but Canto Bai and the residents there, they're just so awesome. So I think I saw some backlash from people who were upset because um, they were all new aliens. And I was like, Isn't God, these films thing? can never... Yeah, I know, right? I was like, these films, they can never win. Like, it's either like, oh, the two drowned <laughs> nostalgia, or oh, it's all new stuff. Where's my old stuff that I like? And I was like, oh, come on, guys. What do you want? Well, that's the you thing. You don't know Ev- what you want. <laughs> the fandom is way too big to please everyone. Like, mm-hmm. you have people who want the nostalgia, and you have people who want new things. So it it looks like it's the same people bitching either way, but it's not. It's just... There, there is always going to be someone who's unhappy. And I think Ryan Johnson is starting to understand that because he's replying yeah. to these people complaining to him on Twitter, which I think is an incredibly rude thing to do. Yeah. To complain oh, yeah, about a movie a, you haven't even like seen. A, that's just like a general comment, by the way, everyone. Please don't directly ask Ryan about any of these controversies. Like, it's just not a good look. <laughs> oh, no, it's not. Like, I, it just... Honestly, I don't, I don't know why people think that's an acceptable thing to do. We have not seen the movie yet. If you don't like it when you've seen it, fine. But mm. to go to the direct... I guess it's just what the internet does, and especially social media. It makes people feel like they, they're entitled to talk to these people. And I, I don't know. It's just, I just don't think that's a polite thing to do at all. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I'm pissing someone off that. with that. <laughs> I don't think... If anyone gets pissed off, that's their problem. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Um... Yeah, like, I, I, is that everything essential that we wanted to cover, basically? It's everything I put in the notes, but I'm fairly sure there's still stuff from Vanity Fair that I haven't been able to read yet, so... Oh, I'm sure there's so much. Yeah. Like, it's a... I feel like I'm really dragging behind. I'm like, ah, it's too much stuff. Yeah, so I'm <laughs> going to have to go back and read some more later. Yeah, no, absolutely. Would you like to have a quick five-minute conversation about the Twin Peaks opener? Oh, like, my gosh. Just tagged on to the end quickly. <laughs> well... Because... I I don't know. Well, we have to put out a spoiler warning. Obviously, if people are planning on watching Twin Peaks, the new yes. season, and they haven't yet, please stop listening. Yeah, bye, guys. <laughs> Although I'm not going to be a, too spoilery because I've watched the first three episodes and honestly, they're all kind of blurring into one. Like, I'm very bad at going, oh, yes, that was episode one and this was episode two. Yeah. Um, I think it's like part of that. 
that whole Netflix Hulu streaming thing where you just get all of this stuff at once rather than yeah. processing it episode by episode. But yeah. it is blowing I'm- my mind. Yeah, it's like I'm amazed you've been able to hold off from watching episode four. I was literally con- I consumed all of them in one day, even though it meant I got to sleep at a ridiculous time and I woke up ridiculously early. Like because I was working on the same day and I still had to contrive a way of like watching this four hours of content alongside work <laughs> and all the other random stuff that I normally do, and I managed oh, I it somehow. Wa- I watch that much in one go? It's very intense, and I I do want to watch the fourth one. I'm going to tonight, I think. But um, yeah there was just so much and I've, I've had lots of other things going on as well but yeah uh, i admit that i watched in very suboptimal um conditions i was actually editing the last like, episode 30 of the podcast how the same day um i'm a woman of many talents <laughs> wait you were doing it at the same time oh no no i wasn't like literally editing as i was oh okay Peaks. like i meant i did it on the same day right um so i managed to fit both in <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah i definitely would not have been able to focus then um but yeah sorry twin peaks holy shit that was so <laughs> effing weird beyond my wildest expectations of weird like i knew it was like pure unfiltered david lynch so obviously i knew to expect craziness because david lynch is completely unhinged in the best way yeah but that's the thing i didn't expect that i really? i thought we, i know i thought we were going to get fan servicey and then, I, you know i would have watched this and i was excited about it yeah but not not in the same way like i thought it was just going to be like oh we're revisiting the diner and agent cooper's having a damn fine cup of coffee with some cherry pie <laughs> like yes. i i just thought it was going to be like the way so many revivals have gone that yeah. it's just playing on those old elements and i was fine to watch it because i'm a fan of the show but i did not dare to ever hope for what we've gotten which is just so incredible and i'm just amazed that showtime agreed to make the show joanna robinson she basically tweeted that um if you're ever feeling down just imagine the faces of the showtime executives when david lynch handed in the first four episodes right <laughs> I, it, it blows my mind like they they had such faith in him i'm just so impressed because i'm very cynical like even though i you know hope for star wars being great and everything and i hope ryan johnson's gonna have this amazing original film for us it's still in the back of my mind that this is a business you know, yeah. and you can't really lose sight of that. And I'm just, just from an artistic level, I'm so amazed that they allowed him to have this, this creative freedom. Like, it's yeah. just incredible to me because, you know, even if people haven't seen David Lynch films or they've maybe watched Twin Peaks, but nothing else, it's just, he, his work is surreal. And it's like watching someone else's dream and you can't make any sense of it, but yeah. it is enthralling. Yeah, it's so beautiful and terrifying. Um, I tweeted out the other day that if anyone had watched the new Twin Peaks on the basis of me telling them in the show that it was really funny, <laughs> they must think I'm psychotic <laughs> because this is not like old Twin Peaks. Like it has elements of it, but it's taken those um, elements from the original show and just completely ran with them. Whereas yes. the old show, like you were saying, is more like a surreal show, but with mostly a soap opera feel yeah this is not like that no this is like much much heavier on the surrealism than the soap opera the soap opera is basically barely present oh my god did you um what did you think about that quote like from <laughs> oh god like james has always been cool shelly talked about him shelly yeah that Shelley was making that hilarious comment. okay i take it back it is a funny show because <laughs> you've that got one. amazing lines like that he's always been cool i was like really james 
That was the funniest line really in the funny. whole thing. I loved it so much. Oh, oh my god. Like, and seriously, Kirsty, I cannot wait for you to watch episode four because I think that's easily my favourite so far. There's amazing scenes with Bobby Briggs and there's also yeah, incredible seen, but... scenes yeah. with um, Albert and Gordon. Okay. And, oh, it's just such great stuff. But yeah, in episode three, the opening to that is just one of the most audacious things I've ever seen. Seriously? I just... Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh my God, I just can't get over everything. I'm trying to, trying to like, think of things to point out and say, oh my yeah. God, this moment. But it's all... Yeah. Um, like, what they have done with Cooper... I mean, Kyle McLachlan is very talented, so he can pull it off. But, oh my God, the bit where... She... <laughs> That girl thinks that he's had a stroke because, and I can't even say because of what's happened to him because I can't explain what's happened to him. <laughs> it's like he's stuck between these different dimensions and like he's the... just come through the electrical socket, Kirsty. That's what's happened. <laughs> it's just like they're trapped in the Black Lodge and then they're talking to that tree that looks like the baby from a razor head. It's just amazing. Yeah. Oh my god. So, like, oh. I, I know we were like, oh, well, I'll have a Twin Peaks podcast and recap every episode, but I don't even know where to start. It's not like I can analyze this stuff. Yeah, it's like dream logic. Yeah. Like you say, I, I do still want to podcast about it, but we're going to have to think about that in more detail when the time comes. Yeah, we're because... not going to be able to break it down. And I mean, I'm sure some people are trying to, like there are loads of existing Twin Peaks podcasts. I, Joanna Robinson has one, which I'm going to start listening to. Yeah, I've listened to it. It's really good. They actually do an admirable job of breaking it down in a coherent <laughs> way. It's very impressive. Yeah, I just want to hear how people do it because I couldn't even begin to attempt to analyze this stuff. <laughs> yeah, more power to them, basically. Yeah, but... It, I think our, pad- our podcast, when it ma- manifests, is going to be like... Boy, that was something, wasn't it, Kirsty? <laughs> Just like, what the fuck? <laughs> over <Yeah>. and over. <laughs> oh, it's magnificent. It is. Like, I'm, uh, I'm just really excited. Like, just for television in general as a medium that this happened. I feel, yeah. I feel like it's a big deal because, you know, a lot of the time people play it too safe. Mm, and it's totally. and I, you were saying it's a real kind of almost backlash against the backlash of. Um, all of these revivals that we've seen in the last few years and people complain about it that there's never anything original anymore people just want to kind of have these reboots of things that play on people's nostalgia and Star Wars is definitely an aspect of that yeah um but it's like a it's a big fuck you to the idea of fan service yeah totally um which I find really exciting yeah so, yeah no lots to chew on. really cool Absolutely. Right. I think we should leave it there because I need to go to Betty Buys and get this thing up. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, no, I've re- I'm actually really glad we had this conversation um, on so many different levels. Um, yeah, like I, I just feel like it's really good, you know, to talk through these things and be like, okay, like it's seriously, guys, it's not the end of the world. Because don't get me wrong, when I first saw that quote, I was a bit like, wow, I'm really, really surprised they just came out and said that. But like. I don't feel like I'm artificially inflating my hopes or being like overconfident, but at the same time, like I said before, I don't feel stupid for seeing what I saw and set- making the observations I've made. Oh stuff, no, that I, makes sense. I don't think any of this impacts what we saw in The Force Awakens. No. If people are thinking that, like we have ample confirmation from sources like J.J. Abrams and the databank and elsewhere that Ray and Kylo Ren are important to each other. Like we didn't yeah. imagine that. Um, exactly. So it just remains to be seen in what capacity. So let's just enjoy the ride. 
Yeah, no, exactly. So basically buckle your seatbelts and let's hope we all survive the madness until December. (laughs) (laughs) And then we will see each other on the other side. No, seriously, we'll see each other when we next podcast, which will be in a bit over a week. Yeah. (laughs) I hope you have fun this weekend. Oh, thank you. No, I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully going to the beach. Awesome. Very nice. Right, thank you and bye. Bye. Bye.